So if you have your if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can click to turn to. Uh, if you're a type of person that likes to follow along, whether it's a electronic device, an app, a phone, or tablet, whatever, or old school, you can turn to Job chapter one verse six is where we're going to start out this morning. Actually, Job chapter one verses six through nine are like our focal passage. But as I promised you last week, I'm going to preach the whole book of Job. Uh, Job is like 42 chapters. And so I've entitled this message, and I'm going to tell you where this message started. It started in my heart 40 years ago. And so let me tell you the title of this message, and then we're going to walk through this together this morning. The title of this message is, is a legitimate question, will a man or a woman, will a person serve God for nothing? And let me tell you where this sermon started. It started in my heart like 40 years ago. I was at a church in Houston, Texas. We had this guest preacher coming in. His name is Ron Dunn. He had a global ministry. He is a big deal in those days. He had this huge ministry. God was using Ron in a lot of ways. Six months before he came to our church to speak, his oldest son, Ronnie, committed suicide. And six months later, he is standing in our church, and he is proclaiming the gospel. And we're watching this man, look at this man, saying, how is this man still standing, walking through the suffering that he's walking through? And how is he still in all of those things? We had all of those emotions. And he challenged us on the view of the book of Job and what Job is really about. And he helped us to understand that as he stepped into the valley of suffering, that he began to look at the book of Job totally different. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. For me, I wouldn't need this until like 40 years later. But a few weeks ago, God reminded me that, you know what, of this sermon, I dug through my files and I found stuffed in an old Bible like the outline that I had jotted down that Ron Dunn had preached 40 years ago. And so this morning, just in, in pure disclosure, I want you to know that I stand on Ron Dunn's shoulders this morning. It's been a 40-year journey of mine looking at the book of Job and contemplating what this man, because that day I committed, I committed and said, you know what, I want to be that person. I want to be that man that will serve God for nothing. Serve God, why? But just because he is worthy to be served because of what he has done for me. And so this morning, let's journey through this together. We'll start out reading Job chapter 1, verse 6. Words are going to come up on the screen. You can follow along on your tablet or old school Bible, whatever, but here we go. So Job chapter 1, verse 6. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him. And walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. So verse 8, I want to remind you, that is what God is saying about Job. That is not what his mother's saying about Job. That's not what his grandmother's saying about Job. That is what God is saying about Job, that Job has his integrity. He's this person that is in right standing. He's the, he's the best of the best. And then verse 9 is where the title of this message comes from. Verse 9, he says, and so it says, Satan answered the Lord. Does Job fear God for nothing? That's a huge question, right? That's a huge question. The, the word nothing in the Hebrew, it means to be out of favor. It means to have ulterior motives. In other words, this is what Satan is saying. Satan cannot understand why anybody would serve God, right? 
Why would anybody serve God? Why would anybody give their time and their talents and their resources and their monies to the local church? Why would anybody do that? And so Satan cannot understand that. And Satan says, oh, I know why they do that. They do it for ulterior motives. They do it for the blessing. They do it for what they get back. They're not doing it out of pure motives. They're doing it for the blessing. And so Satan cannot understand why Job is like serving him. And he says, well, I know why he serves you. You put a hedge of protection around him. He's like one of the most famous and richest men in the East. And so that's why he serves you. Guess what? He's serving you because of the benefits. He's serving you because there's payoff. And so verse 10, we'll just keep going. Verse 10, Satan says, haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hands, strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. So here's what Job is saying. Job, God saying, Job saying, God, I'm sorry, Satan saying, God, you no longer bless Job and he will bail. He will curse you to your face. This is why I believe when you look at the book of Job, the book of Job is really not why, why, do, good thing, why do bad things happen to good people. Why do the righteous suffer? Because that question is never answered in, this, in the book of Job, right? We never get an answer to that in the book of Job. But the question that Satan asks is a legitimate question regardless of who asks it. Will a man, will a woman, will a person serve God for nothing? Because when you look at the scriptures, you realize that all of a sudden you see the answer to that question. So a question for us this morning, it's a legitimate question. Why do you serve God? Why do I serve God? Why are you here this morning? Why do, you why, do you, why do you gather and worship? Why do you give of your tithes? Why do you give of your resources? Why do you make him a priority? And so if we look at this, we're in, in honest, we say, well, you know what? We believe there's blessing on the person that serves God. We believe there's blessing on the person that gives of their talents and their resources, and that is, that is true. But what happens when you step into the valley of suffering? What happens when your marriage struggles, relationships around you struggle? What happens when your health fails? What happens when the health of a child, your child, what happens when their health fails? What happens when it's hard to see the earthly blessings when you step in the valley of suffering? And we should, we should serve God, right? We should serve God. The ultimate reason is we serve God. Why? Because he's worthy to be served. See, that's, that's the focus of the book of Revelation. Revelation is not so much about the second coming and charts and graphs and beast and this and, you know, and the Antichrist and all the things that we make it. Yes, some of that's in there. But you know the focus of the book of Revelation? When you go through persecution, when you go through difficult times, Jesus is worthy to be served. And Jesus is worthy to be served whether there's earthly blessings or not. And so when you look at this, here's, here's the question. And you look at the book of Job. It is crazy. It's question after question. Someone asks a question. You know how they answer a question in the book of Job? They just ask two more questions. You ever been around someone like that? You ask them a question, then they ask you a couple of questions. You're like, we're getting nowhere. Fact is, fact is when you look at the, if you just kind of count, uh, God asked Job like 140 questions, and Job asked, and, and Job asked God like, like 70 questions. And so I thought it would be good this morning, in keeping with the theme of the book of Revelation, or the book of Job, let's just ask three questions and answer them. Along this thinking and along this title, 
Will a person serve God for nothing? So the first one is this. Will a person serve God when, when life turns tragic? Will a person continue to serve God when their life turns tragic? And so when I use this word tragic, the definition that I'm using is tragic in the purest sense. There's a difference when you look at the Webster's or you look at a dictionary. There's a difference between tragic and tragedy. Okay, so tragic, when I, in the purest sense of a definition of tragic is this. Tragic simply means when a, when a good man, a good person, a good woman goes through suffering and they don't deserve it. In other words, it would be like undeserved suffering. It would be like in those situations where we start asking the question, well, why do bad things happen to, to good people? In other words, there's no earthly reason why they suffer. There's no, there's no, it's no, no human cause why they're suffering. Their surf, suffering cannot be traced back to human cause. Their suffering appears to have like no reason. It doesn't make any sense to us, like a family being killed by a drunk driver or like the Holocaust or something like that. So you understand that in life... There's deserved suffering and undeserved suffering, right? Like if you left service today and on your way to the restaurant or on your way home and you ran a red light and you ended up in a traffic accident, well, guess what? You couldn't, you couldn't blame the government. You couldn't blame the city. You couldn't blame the other driver. You couldn't blame God because why? You deserve that. You're the one that ran the red light and you're the one that caused the accident. If you were to lose your job and all of a sudden you were terminated because you always showed up, on, uh, you always showed up late, you didn't do your work, you didn't turn your work in on time, they couldn't find you and you lose your job, you could not say that's undeserved suffering. You could not blame that on a supervisor. You couldn't blame that on a, on a company. You couldn't blame that on COVID. Uh, you couldn't blame that on a coworker. Why? Because you caused that. So the suffering that I'm talking about this morning, the suffering of Job is like there was no human reason. You couldn't trace back to human reason why he was going through this. So, so I just want to be clear this morning. I'm talking about undeserved suffering. So verse 12. Very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and one day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came, came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported. <coughs> Excuse me. The Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, at this point, I think I'd tell my buddy, lock the door. Don't let anybody else come in here. Don't accept any more emails, any more text messages. You ever gone through, you ever stepped in the valley of suffering, and it seemed like one bad news after another? You didn't want the phone to ring. You didn't want the phone to light up with another text message. You didn't want anybody. You, you felt like all there is, all there is is bad news. Verse, verse, verse 18, and he was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people, so they died. I alone have escaped to tell you. I mean, this is like a really, really bad day for Job, right? Verse 20, then Job stood up, tore his robe, shaved his head, 
fell to the ground and worshiped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, and Satan, and Satan takes away. No, that's not what it says, right? Sorry, that was probably a little bit of emotion on my part. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And look at Job. And through all, throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Satan thought Job's life turns tragic, he'll curse God and die. Job's life turns tragic, he will no longer worship him. He will no longer serve him. He will no longer gather and worship that's what Satan thoughts. And so I don't, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, and this may be a word for some of you here this morning, but a lot of times in church we talk, right? We talk that, that we have faith in God, right? We talk, we talk about this, that, that we have faith in God. But have you ever thought God has faith in you? God had faith in Job. When Satan said, you pull the blessings away from Job, and Job will curse you. Job only... Only reason Job's serving you is because of what you can do for Job. And you know what God told Satan? Satan God told Satan, Satan, I, I believe in Job. You can move it all, all away from him. He will still serve. Listen, let me tell you something. Maybe you need to hear this this morning. If you're in the valley of suffering right now, God believes in you. And God has faith in you. Here a while back, it was a few months ago, we had someone in our church, and they'd been in our church for like forever. And they went through some undeserved suffering. And this individual told me, says, you know what, Charlie, I'm, I, I just got to be honest. I don't know that I'll come out on the other side with my faith still intact. I'm really struggling. This, this has no human reasoning. This is, this is like undeserved. And I don't know. I just need to let you know, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I, I looked at this individual and said, you know what, God believes in you and I believe in you. I've served alongside of you for a number of years. I, I know the scripture that is in your heart. I have watched you. I've heard you pray. And I just want you to let you know God believes in you. I believe in you. And you're going to come out on the other side stronger. I believe that. And I've watched that in this individual's life. See, this is what's happening. God is like, God is like, I have faith in Job. So Job chapter 2 verse 1. One day this, the, the sons of God came again to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Uh, you know what I wrote in my Bible right there? God, if you ever have a conversation with Satan, do not bring my name up. <laughs> Just leave my name out of the conversation. <laughs> No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God, turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you incited against me to destroy him. Here it is, to destroy him for no good reason. Now we're talking, right? Now we're talking undeserved suffering. No human reason. And I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. And so watch this, verse 4. Skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. Satan's holding to that. You, you know what? Job's going to bail on you. But stretch out your hand, strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your, your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan, he is in your power. Spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and inflicted, infected Job with terrible boils from the soles of his feet and the top of his head. 
And then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape, it him, to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. I mean, Job's like sitting on the city dump. I mean, just, just last week he was sitting on city council. Now he's sitting on the city dump. He's an outcast. He's lost everything. He's isolated. Will a person serve God for nothing? We're going to find out the truth about Job. If Job's motives are, are pure. Will a person serve God when their life turns tragic? A lot of times it's easy. In fact, is, let me back up. In Job's time and his three friends, we're going to talk about his three friends in a few minutes, the prevailing theology was prosperity gospel. That God wants you healthy, wealthy, happy. That if you go through suffering, if you have difficulty, there's, there's, there's a spiritual condition, there's something wrong. Aren't you glad that theology was just in the Old Testament and is like gone? It is still alive, right? And it's easy for us to take TV preachers, and I could name them, and we'd all know who they are, to take TV preachers that want your money, and as a result, they tell you that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and, and happy as long as you sow into their ministry, then you're going to be financially blessed, and you're going to never get sick, and you're, you're going to be happy, right? So it's easy for us to, like, trash those guys. But there's something about suffering, if we're, if we're honest, that when we walk in the valley of suffering, you know one of the first things it does? It exposes the prosperity gospel in our heart. God, this isn't fair. God, do you not, hello, do you not see how I've been serving you? Lord, do you not know I'm your child? Do you not know that I'm in church every weekend? I'm in church this weekend. I'm going to be in church next weekend. That I read my Bible. I pray. I give. I serve the poor. God, do you, do you, not, do you not see what I'm doing? Shouldn't that count for something? God, do you not realize I work with some atheists and they don't even claim to know you? They don't ever darken the do doors of a church and yet it looks like their life is blessed. It looks, like, it looks like they're skating clean and it looks like blessing after blessing after blessing. Don't you, Lord, don't you think that membership should have privileges? Membership should have benefits? I mean, God, if this is, gonna if this is how you're going to treat your child... telling you. It is true. Faith cannot be tested in prosperity. You know where faith is tested? In adversity. You know where your faith and my faith is tested? In difficulty. When all of a sudden your life turns tragic. It's this undeserved suffering. Sometimes it, it, it exposes the prosperity gospel that may be seeping in our heart. The second question that we have to ask is, will a person serve God when you stand alone? Will a person serve God when you stand alone? Will a person not only serve God when life turns tragic, but will a person serve God when you have to, like, stand alone? I mean, when you look at Job's life, all of a sudden his friends forsake him. And, and it, it, in some respects, and we'll talk about that in some respects, it seems like God, seems like God himself has forsaken him. And it looks like everybody's abandoned Job. God's abandoned Job, and his friends have abandoned Job. And Job is like sitting on the city dump, and he's in a rough place. But good news, Job, your wife is on her way. Verse 9. And his wife said to him, 
Are you still holding on to your integrity? Just curse God and die. <laughs> no sympathy, no empathy, no compassion. I mean, he's in a tough place. Look how he answers her, verse 10. He says, you speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Through all this, Job did not sin in what he said. This is a testimony of faith, unbelievable faith. Don't worry, Job. Your three friends are on their way. I mean, your, your three buddies that you've been in a life group with, and you've, you've opened up the scrolls together, and you've worshiped together, you've prayed together, you've served together, you've done life together. You've been in their home. They've been in your home. I mean, they're, 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 Job, good news. Your three closest buddies, they're on their way. Verse 11. Now when Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Tenonite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the Namathite. I wish this had happened in Texas. It'd be so much easier to read these names. <laughs> Joe Bob, Billy Bob, Bubba, <laughs> Betty Sue. <laughs> right? It'd just be, a, yeah, it'd just be so much easier. <laughs> heard about all the adversity that had happened to him. Each of them came from his home. They met together to go. So they met together and they may have prayed together. They said, this is how we're going to attack this. And sympathize with him and comfort him. And when they looked from a distance, they barely recognized him. I mean, Job is in a bad way. They wept aloud and each man tore his robe and threw dust in the air on his head. And they sat on the ground with him seven days, seven nights. But no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense. His three friends come to console him. He's unrecognizable because of the pain that he was in. And they sat down. The scripture says they sit down and they watch him and not say a word for like a week. I would find that comforting. It's the ministry of presence. It's the ministry of just knowing that, hey, guess what? Listen, I'm in the valley of suffering, and so I get this. I understand this. It's just this issue of just having someone that, you know what, to know that I'm not in it alone. And they don't have to have all the answers. Just knowing that, guess what, I am not in this alone. And so they sit with Job for like a week just to let him know, Job, we're with you. We're not, we'll, we'll stand with you. We'll not only sit with you, but we'll stand with you. But after a week, they decide we got to do something. And we got to speak and we got to talk some sense into Job's life. And their theology comes out. This is why it's difficult for some people to, to, to comfort people that are suffering because all of a sudden what comes out of your theology comes out. And so their theology comes out. And they say, Job, we just need to let you know. So all of a sudden you start hearing prosperity gospel. We just let, need to let you know the reason you're going through this is there's sin in your life. Now listen, we're, we're like your three best friends. We don't know what it is. We haven't seen it personally. But the only reason you're going through this is there has to be sin in your life. You keep insisting on your integrity. You keep saying that you have not sinned. See, they didn't know what God had said about Job. Remember, God said there is no sin. And so Job's insisted. He said, Job, facts are facts. You can't argue with the fact that you're going through this. So, Job, you need to confess your sin, whatever it is, confess your sin. We'll pray with you, and, and, then, and then this whole thing will, will be taken care of. And Job is still saying he's innocent. And he's sitting on a city dump. 
His life has turned tragic. His three closest friends are abandoning him. Is Job still going to hold true? Life is easy. It's easy to serve God, right? It's easy to serve God when everything is going your way. It's easy to serve God when the church is doing great. It's easy to serve God when nobody's criticizing you and everybody believes in you and everybody supports you and nobody's talking about you. It's easy to serve God when you're around friends that are loving you and encouraging and supporting you. It's easy to serve God when everybody believes in you and everybody likes you. But what about when you have to stand alone? What about when nobody believes in you? What about when people look at you with suspicion, questioning your integrity? Will a person continue to serve God when they have to stand alone? I mean, this this is a huge question. Job's friends had no... They had to condemn Job because of the theology. Their theology told them this prosperity gospel... Their theology told them that suffering is linked to guilt. That Job, the only reason you're suffering, there has to be guilt somewhere. You have to have done something wrong. So when the organization struggles, when the church struggles, when when your life struggles, there can be people that will gather around and say, we don't know what the guilt is. We haven't seen it. But someone has to be guilty somewhere. And Job's friends were his friends, but they were just unwilling to stand with him. And Job comes to this place. Listen, there is a, there is a difference between people that say we're with you and we'll stand with you. There's a total, here a while back, just real quickly, just illustration. I, I attended a, a pastor's conference in Fort Collins a few months back. A friend of mine that's older than me, uh, he's like 72 and still serving in ministry. And, and so he spoke at the conference, and he, he, he made a joke out of his generation. It was just an innocent joke. But in, we live in different times. So there are some people that got offended. And so that next session, my buddy had to get up and say, hey, I'm going to ask for your forgiveness. I meant it as a joke. He, he explained it and said, please forgive me. In that next worship set, I noticed that my buddy was down like five rows from the front, and he, nobody's with him. He's standing alone. It's like, it's like this. I mean, the room was crowded, but not around Bob. And I said, this can't be. And so I went down there. I stood next to him, and Bob looked over at me and says, are you sure you want to stand with me? Don't you know the criticism? Job is standing in a room alone. And even his friends won't stand with him. Job makes the mistake at the end of chapter 3. He gets transparent and honest with his buddies. And so I'm I'm just going to let you know. If you go into the valley of suffering, you need to be careful. You need to be careful who you're transparent and honest with. And you let them know all of your emotion. You better know you can trust them. In Job chapter 3, Job comes to this place and says, Well, you know what, guys? I did always have fear that this would happen in my life. I did have some fear that I would lose everything. And they go, aha, that's it, Job. Your sin is fear. Faith over fear, Job. Faith over fear. Your issue is you didn't have enough faith, and because you had fear in your heart, and all of a sudden it just lit up this criticism. 
And so I want to take you back. Look at this. Job chapter 2, verse 3. Then the Lord said to, to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God, turns away from evil. He re retains his integrity, even though you incited me against him, to destroy him for no good reason. You can, expect, you can inspect Job's life and find there's no reason for this. God even said there was no reason for this. So, so when you see that phrase, it's undeserved suffering, there is no earthly reason. From a human perspective, we can't make sense of this, and Job is having to stand alone. Listen, let me tell you, when you go through suffering, three things will happen in your life. First thing is you will feel isolated. You will totally feel isolated because there will be a lot of people that cannot even understand your emotions and what you're going through. It will also isolate you because you will look at other people and say, you know what, everybody else is blessed but me. Everybody else's life is working out by my, but, but mine. It will isolate you. You will have unbelievable loneliness, Job chapter 6, because nobody could relate what Job was going through. Job chapter 7, all of a sudden, it's this, this bitterness that just comes out in Job's life. Look at this, Job 7.1. Isn't each person consigned to forced labor on earth? Are not his days like those of a hard worker? Like a slave, he longs for shade. And like a hard worker, he waits for his pay. And then verse 11, Job just lets it fly. His bitterness comes out. And I am so thankful that the Lord is gracious and allows us to process out our emotions. Verse 11, therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a sea monster that you keep under guard? These are, he, he's talking to God. When I say my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions. He cannot even sleep at night because of nightmares. So that I prefer strangling death rather than life in this body, I give up. I will not live forever. Leave me alone. My days are a breath. What is a mere human? That you, should so, that you think so highly of him and pay so much attention to him. You inspect him every morning and put him to the test every moment. Will you ever look away from me or leave me alone long enough to swallow? If I have sinned, what have I done for you? Watcher of humanity, why have you made me your target so that I have become a burden for you? Job is at the bottom. The last question that we have to answer this morning is, when a person, will a person serve God when God is silent? Will a person serve God when it seems like God is silent, when there's no answer that's come? This may be the most difficult one that, that, that Job had, that it seemed like it got to the point that Job was silent, and Job is not, and God is not, God is not explaining some things to Job. God is not giving Job answers. God is not talking to him and helping him process this. And, and Job is thinking, God, if you just give me a reason, if you just give me a reason, I'll be able to understand and accept it. Aren't we like that? That if, if, someone, if someone asks us to do something that we don't want to do or something that we don't like, don't, don't we think, if you could just give me a reason, it would make it easier, right? If you, could just, if you could just give me a reason, but a lot of times people give us a reason, it doesn't make it any easier. But Job came to this place to think that, you know what, if you just give me a reason, it will make it easier. But God's like silent. Then finally, finally, Job. Then finally in the book of Job, Job chapter 38, God speaks. Here's what he says. He said, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. 
And he said to this, who, who is this that obscures my counsel with ignorant words? This is not going well for Job. And here's the crazy thing. So Job, let's stream the, let's stream the discovery channel. Job wants an answer. All God wants to talk about is nature. Look at this, Job chapter 38, 4. Hey, Job, where were you when I established the earth? Tell me. If you have understanding, who fixed its dimension? Certainly you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? Verse 16, have you traveled to the sources of the sea or walked in the depths of the oceans? Have the, have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of the deep darkness? Have, have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me, if you know all this. Verse 38, when the dust hardens like cast metal and the clogs of dirt stick together, can you hunt prey from the lioness or satisfy, satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait within their lyres? Who provides the raven's food when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Job needs an answer. And all God will do is talk about nature. Job wants to know why he lost his children. Job wants to know why he lost his business. Job wants to know why he went from the city dump to the, from the city council to the city dump. And all God wants to do is talk about nature. You know why? God's helping Job to understand, Job, I am God and you are not. Job, I am the creator and you're the creature. You have been complaining and criticizing me, and you have been saying things that, you know what, if you were God, you would have done things different, and you would have handled it better. But Job, can I ask you some questions? Can you, can you number the clouds? Can you call down lightning at your command or come to your aid? Job, can you store up the water in the heavens and make it rain? You know what God's telling me? Job, I, I have a right to do whatever I want to do. Can I just tell you, after entering the valley of suffering, that's the first huddle that, hurdle that we all have to jump over. Does God have a right to do whatever he does? Is God sovereign? And the answer, we know the answer. The answer is yes. But it, what he says in Job is he not only has a right, he has a reason, he has a purpose. And this is what's brought me healing. So, Job 42, verse 1. Then, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. So circle that word like plan. Job finally acknowledged, God, you're sovereign. God, I may not understand it. I may not know the reason, but you, you have a plan. And guess what? No man can keep your plan from happening. And so you say, Charlie, what's the reason? I don't know. But it's enough to, to, to say that, you know what, I may not know the reason, but God, God has a purpose and God has a plan. And God is sovereign and God is in control. And that gives me comfort that my life is not in the hands of chance. My life is not in the hands of someone sitting up in heaven and shooting craps. My life is not in the hands of, 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 of chance. 
but is in the hands of God, and God has a purpose behind it. And everything that happens in my life and everything that happens in your life is according to his purpose and according to his plan. See, this is what gives me security and confidence. If I didn't believe that, if you didn't believe that, then why not just, if you believe that your life is up to chance, then why not drown yourself in the bottle? Why not take a handful of pills? Why not take your life? Why not live an immoral life like wheels off if this is all there is? But there's a reason. And there's a purpose, and Job lives and dies, never knows a reason. And then watch this. We're going to end with this. Job chapter 42, 10. After Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled, doubled, doubled his previous possessions. That's a pretty good deal, right? And then then, then we'll just read this. Verse, Verse 12. Watch this. So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. He owned 14,000 sheep and goats, so we know the story. He started out with 7,000. He now has 14,000. So far, so good. 6,000 camels. He started out with 3,000. He now has 6,000. So far, so good. 1,000 yoke of oxen. Started out with 500. Ends up with 1,000 yoke of oxen. And 1,000 female donkeys started out with 500 female donkeys. He now has 1,000 female donkeys. And then verse 13. He also had seven sons, three daughters. Wait a minute. He started out with seven sons, three daughters. Is that what your Bible said? Did we, like, type that wrong? Everything doubled except for the kids. Shouldn't it read he had 14 sons, 6 daughters? I mean, he started out with 10. Shouldn't he end up with 20? But it says he also had 7 sons, 3 daughters. I know what it is. What you lose to heaven, you never lose. What you lose to heaven, the sovereignty of God. What you lose to heaven, what I lose to heaven, you never lose. Job ended up with 20 kids. Seven sons on earth, seven sons in heaven. Three daughters on earth, three daughters in heaven. You and I will never get to heaven and shake our fist at God and say, you owe me. And that's when we'll understand it all. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?